Amen. Janet, uh, any updates on the Steelers squad? <laughs> oh, man. I was hoping you'd get me pumped up here. Well, on that note, we are in football season, right? I've got a uh, couple little uh, fun quotes that I'd like to read. I think you might get a kick out of. Got to put my eyes on. These are, um, at, I'm sorry, what was that? Steelers up? Okay, I'm ready to preach. <laughs> uh, these are actual quotes, some of which you may have heard before, but uh, from some of our uh, various professional athletes, coaches, managers, that kind of thing. It's one of my favorites. Um, it's a football quote here, Joe Theismann, 1996. Nobody in foot, football should be called a genius. A genius is a guy like Norman Einstein. Uh, Billy Peterson, Florida State football coach. You guys line up alphabetically by height. I can't, can't even begin to imagine the look of confusion on the players' faces at that point in time. Um, Bill Peterson, again, Florida State football coach. You guys pair up in groups of three, then line up in a circle. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see here. Boxing promoter Dan Duva and Mike Tyson hooking up again with promoter Don King. Why would you expect him to come out smarter? He went to prison for three years, not Princeton. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, on whether he had visited the Parthenon during his visit to Greece, I can't really remember the name of all the clubs I went to. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, and then Shaq again on his lack of championships. I've won at every level except college and pro. Uh, Joe Fink's New Orleans State general manager, when asked about a 1986 loss, what he thought of the refs, I'm not allowed to comment on lousy officiating. <laughs> anyway, there, there, there's a few of them. Uh, kind of interesting things that can come out of our mouths from time to time, huh? Well, uh, glad to be back in L.A. Uh, been back, I think, about a week now. It seems uh, time is just flying like crazy. But we had the opportunity to go back to uh, Boston for our American Leadership Conference, which was incredible. Uh, Henry alluded to that a little bit last week. I know the uh, opening message by Doug Arthur was very, very convicting, hard-hitting, challenging, inspiring. And uh, other than the fact that I enjoyed every aspect of it, other than the, the aspect of the pace of it was absolutely uh, incredulous. I was completely fried by the time it was all said and done. I think we averaged, was it like four or five classes a day? Something like that. But uh, it was great, uh, just from a standpoint of spiritual nurturing. And then you had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with family in New York. And uh, we did get to, uh, get to uh, Ground Zero, which obviously we all know what took place in 9-11. Uh, going back a ways here and uh, just the destruction that took place. It was great to see Manhattan coming back, uh, a resurrection of, of uh, type per se. That's the uh, new tower uh, that's going up out there. That's my incredible wife, Jacqueline, at the bottom of the picture there at the uh, base of the memorial. And basically, the trees that you see there actually outline the uh, footprint of the two towers as well as the memorial uh, fountains, which are a part of it as well. But just amazing, uh, the lives that were lost, 
But at the same time, the way the city is really coming back together, this is part of one of the monuments there. They had all the different fire trucks and teams and outfits and the individuals that were in the building. And the thing that was kind of unique about this is they actually grouped the names uh, as based on the offices that people worked in or the fire department they were a part of. The names on the monument are grouped like that. If you were in a particular office building that went down on that particular day, all the office personnel are all grouped together in this memorial. As you can imagine, just a lot of different emotions, uh, you know, as far as the individuals there. So one of the, uh, one of the fountains, another uh, angle on that. And this is me getting back into town on uh, the way to our men's day uh, with my little matrix with uh, four tractor tires in it and a lot of the other equipment that we had that particular day. But uh, while I was in New York, I did have the opportunity to uh, get together with the Marici side of the family. I hadn't seen them in about three years, so it was really uh, great connecting on that level. Uh, my wife uh, videotaped it on her iPad. When she figures out how to put that in a format I can put up on screen, you'll probably get the opportunity to see how incredibly dysfunctional my family is. They're a lot of fun, though, needless to say. Message today, uh, as you know, uh, it's been on the various Iron Men in the Bible. Uh, we've done Jephthah, we've done Ehud. Today we're doing Samson. Tell the message is Samson destined for greatness. And uh, just kind of kind of run through some of the things we're going to be looking at today as we go through the message. Ultimately, the thing that's really awesome about God and what God has in store for us, we're all destined for greatness. Amen. Sometimes it may not exactly feel that way, but. Uh, Sometimes the reason for that is we can deter, we can actually take a detour from uh, God's destiny and what He has in store for us. And then ultimately, repentance is the thing that will enable us to get to our final destination, which I would imagine that's the one we're all excited about here today, right? Which is getting ourselves to heaven. Got a little, uh, little oversight on some other great men destined for greatness here. This is uh, from our men's day, our Iron Man. Really an incredible event. Uh, obviously got to see some of the uh, physical aspects of it. And yes, Perry does do something other than lay around. That was him with one of the tractor tires. Uh, he did uh, claim that his, uh, his uh, I guess the ultimate sport for him is talking smack, which uh, it was very entertaining. He did a great job, kept me in stitches. Uh, Doug Wins was our preacher that particular day and uh, just really did a great job as well of taking care of our spiritual needs and really helping us understand as men there is a lot more out there than just physical training. It is of some value uh, and I think it, it was a great event. Uh, we had a, a number of uh, men that were visiting, friends from the neighborhood or work and uh, definitely had a positive impact on them. Uh, the thing that we're talking about today though is destiny and destiny and destinations can be a funny thing. Yeah, you don't always end up quite where you think that you're going to. Um, I, I don't know if you saw the picture of the, uh, towards the end of the uh, push-up contest. There was a picture of Rudy and myself, Rudy Casillas. I, I don't really remember how that ended up. What was the, uh, where's Rudy at? <laughs> where are you at, Rudy? Oh, there he is. <laughs> Rudy won. <laughs> now, I, you know, I do have a question for you, bro. How old are you? 34, 34, 53, okay, uh, amen, I, 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 can, I can live with that, I can honestly live with that, I thought I was going to win it, but you know, again, destiny, destination, things don't always pan out quite the way that we expect, 
And with that, I've got a story that I want to share with you this afternoon about uh, taking trips and destinies. There was a Thai wife and mother of eight children who regularly crossed the border into Malaysia to do her shopping. She left home one day to do just that. She was living in a little village in southern Thailand in 1982 when she was 51 years old. Because it was such a common thing, she crossed the border into Malaysia to do some shopping for the family. When she caught the bus home, she mistakenly caught the wrong bus, a bus that was going to Bangkok, 1,200 kilometers north. Finding herself in Bangkok and only able to speak her local dialect, she then makes a second mistake and catches another bus, which takes her a further 700 kilometers north to Chiang Mai, now 1,900 kilometers from home. Because she can't speak the dialect there or read or write, she ends up as a beggar on the streets for five years. In 1987, she's rounded up with a bunch of old, oh, other homeless people by the police and put into a shelter for the homeless. It was only then when some students began chatting to her that they realized that she wasn't mute and the discovery of the fact that she came from a little village 1,900 kilometers south was made. She was reunited with her family for the first time in 25 years in 2007 when her family, who were told that she had been run over by a train, received their 76-year-old mother and wife again. All because she got on the wrong bus. So, you know, when it comes to life, sometimes we've gotten onto the wrong bus. But because of God's grace, we don't have to remain in the wrong direction to the wrong destination. Amen? You know, I think one of the things that we can see with the Bible is the Bible is full of accounts of individuals that sometimes started off in the wrong place and ended up in the wrong place. Others that started out in the wrong direction and ended up in the right direction. Others that started out in the right direction and kind of stray in the middle and end up ending up at the right destination. You know, and I think honestly, if we were to walk through this room, each and every one of us probably fall within one of those three categories. You know, I think with that, most of the time we don't think about the incredible impact of our daily decisions, our thought process, what we think, where we go who we talk to, things of that nature. Well, Samson was definitely destined for greatness. I've got a couple of quotes that I want to read when it comes to our destiny. Reads, we are not creatures of circumstances. We are creators of circumstance. Let's see if the rest of it comes in here. That's by uh, Benjamin Disraeli. The next quote reads, Our destiny changes with our thoughts. We shall become what we wish to become, do what we wish to do, when our habitual thought corresponds with our desire. That's what Orson Sweat and Martin. And I think just thinking about these for a minute, we are not creatures of circumstances, we are creators of circumstances. You know, you can, there are some religions that claim that our destiny is sealed from the day that we are born. I don't ascribe to that. Based on how I was born, the circumstances I was born into, I was definitely destined for hell. But because of God initiating through others, I have the opportunity to stand before you today as a Christian. The next one, our destiny changes with our thoughts. We become what we wish to become, do what we wish to do, when our habitual thoughts corresponds with our desires. Well, this is a, a dichotomy we have. There are things that we need to think about and decisions we need to make and choices we need to make. You know, if we, as Christians, 
We live in accordance with the scriptures. We live the life of a disciple. We're involved in discipling relationships. We're part of the organism, the church. Makes it a lot easier to stay on the right path. Do you guys agree with me on that? But what happens when we start making those little compromises? The same thing here applies. If we compromise and start straying from God's Word and start straying from the relationships in the church and we start straying from the gospel and prayer and just the things that God has ordained with us to maintain a relationship with us, those things can be habitual as well. And then that destiny of heaven can turn into a destiny to someplace else. We ultimately can end up for eternity in hell. But that is not what God wants for us. Amen? So a thought, you reap an act. So an act, you reap a habit. So a habit and you reap a character. So a character and you reap a destiny. And this is what I love so much about God's Word. When we apply it to our lives, what we can sow from that. I mean, we're all here because someone else initiated with us on God's behalf. And that's the incredible thing about God. God wants everyone to have the opportunity to come to know Him, come to know the Word, come to have that opportunity to have a relationship with Him. You know, every decision we make is edging us towards our eventual destiny. You know, when it comes to our walk, really in a lot of ways it's like putting down a brick. You know, you choose in life. You make choices. Our choices are not neutral. They're like paving bricks in a road that we're constructing, and we really are in charge a lot of ways as to where that road goes. You know, for the first paver as a Christian is God. And there's so many other aspects that on that path that lead us to having that right relationship. Hope, faith, Christ, mercy, forgiveness. I mean, there's so many. Prayer, God's Word. And by laying down those right pavers, it leads us in the right direction. But there's so many things that we can do that will take us down another road by ignoring the things that God has set up for us. In Judges 13, verse 1, we're going to be coming out of uh, 13, 14, 15, and 16 excerpts out of the book of Judges when it comes to Samson. And the question here today is, where is that road that you're going on leading you today? You know, Samson was faced with a lot of important decisions in his life. He started out with an incredible beginning. And we're going to take a look at that here in uh, chapter 13. Now, when it came to the Israelites, the Israelites needed a deliverer. In Judges 13, verse 1, it says, And again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. You know, we can see the, the destiny of the Jews at this point in time, and again, laying down the wrong pavers, going down the wrong path, not living in accordance with what God, God had established. But as we continue... We can see God had a plan. In verse 2, it says, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boys will be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the uh, hands of the uh, Philistines. A little typo there. So we can see this situation here. Samson, right from the get-go. Incredible plan. God comes to his parents and they unveil that plan. They let him know that 
He needs to be raised a certain way. He gives very specific direction. And with that, the Jews will be delivered from the hands of the Philistines at this point. In verse uh, 24 through 25, it says, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Sansom. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So we see the destiny of Samson, how things are started out. We know the destiny of God's people at this point. They have strayed from God. Israel is in a backslidden condition. They were just doing what was right in their own eyes. We know that they were worshiping false idols. They were eating things that they shouldn't be eating. They were interacting with people that they shouldn't be interacting with. And again, God was very clear with the direction. And this was the reason that they were in captivity again. This is the reason they were dealing with this enemy, the Philistines. Because of their unwillingness to obey God. It says that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So they were in bondage. Second Chronicles 7 verse 15 says, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then will I hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. You know, the thing that's really interesting about God's people at this point in time, we know it doesn't take anything for us to turn to God, right? Other than a soft heart. And this was not where the people were at, yet God still chose to initiate with them and give them a second chance through Samson. These people were not doing any of the things that's talked about here in Chronicles. They weren't seeking God. There was no prayer movement revival. They were just existing in bondage. Yet even though they weren't initiating with God, God chose to initiate with them. You know, and this is the God we worship. We worship a God of second chances and thirds and fourths. And I mean, I look back at my life and the different things that have taken place, both prior to coming into the kingdom and as a Christian. I'm glad that we, we worship a God of grace. You know, you look at the situation with Israel. Israel didn't deserve any help, yet God sent Samson. You know, when I was a kid, just kind of thinking back, I was convinced that the race went to the swift and the battles of the strong. Definitely wasn't strong, based on the number of times I got chased home from school. Swift did kind of enter the, into the equation because I did manage to uh, avoid a number of beatdowns in, in the day. But, you know... If you want to win, my, my thought was you just need to run harder, get stronger, whatever. And I remember some of the disappointments I had just kind of going through school. Uh, I grew up, I was born in 58, grew up in the 60s. Uh, space program was a major deal to me. I think because of that I became a very, uh, uh, my favorite genre at the time was science fiction. I loved reading science fiction. Uh, I remember going to uh, Disneyland. They used to have the, uh, what was it, the GE circle in the round thing. I've got somebody out there that remembers that? Amen! Come on, Lana! And it was the coolest thing. I remember sitting there thinking, you know, they got these little, you know, mannequin guys talking and talking about all the new and upcoming things. And there was this thing, it was in this huge box, and they told us someday... I would be able to record my TV shows and watch them whenever I wanted. And I thought that was so cool. <laughs> and, you know, and they talked about someday having wireless phones, and they walked through all this stuff. And this is one of the things as a kid I enjoyed about science fiction, is just seeing so many of these things in my lifetime come to fruition. But one of those things that I wanted to be was an astronaut. Scholastically, I had it together. Then I ended up at Magic Mountain my sophomore year of high school, and I got on this wonderful ride called the Spin Out. And man, I was having a ball. 
It's got like a giant centrifuge. Thing spins around, floor drops out, and you're glued to the wall. And I'm like on my side. I'm upside down. I'm having a great time. And I get off. Turn green. Wanted to blow chunks. I was not feeling good. And, you know, it wouldn't wouldn't have been so bad if it was just the one day. It lasted for a couple of weeks. I remember crossing school, and I'd be crossing school, and I'd be, Hey, Steve! And I'd turn around and be like... I mean, it messed up my equilibrium, something fierce. You know, and I remember seeing some of the training shows. You know, they got the guys with little round things on the arm that spins around a million miles an hour, and it generates whatever it is, five, six Gs, the guys pass out. And I'd look at that thing now, and I'd get sick. So I'm thinking, well, guess the astronaut thing ain't happening. Was that funny? I was hurt. And then from there, uh, I decided, okay, well, if I can't be an astronaut, what, what else do I really enjoy? I loved animals. So I'll become a veterinarian. And uh, again, scholastically had it together. But at the time, there were only three veterinarian schools in the United States. There was one in Florida, one in Chicago, and UC Davis in California. And back in the day, this was the mid to late 70s, tuition was $36,000 a year. Which, I, you know, I don't even know what college education costs today. I'm sure they're probably somewhere way more astronomical than that. But uh, after sitting down with the counselors and working through the financial situation, there, there was no, no way, even with a partial scholarship, I could afford to become a veterinarian. So, you know, then I ended up at Mount San Antonio College, was looking to uh, maybe get into agribusiness, you know, the whole animal thing again. And uh, long and the short of it, that didn't work out. So I lost the dream was focused on these different destinies and none of those destinations panned out. But then in 1990, October 1990, God initiated with me. Didn't deserve it. You know, still there are days where I, I wonder why me, God. But I'm really, really grateful in that December 10th of 1990, I became a disciple of Jesus Christ. My sins were forgiven. It's given a new start and given a new dream, a new destiny. Amen? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20, you know, when it comes to God and, and the way God does things, even looking at Samson, you might want to question why Samson was chosen, but I think this kind of encapsulates why uh, sometimes we don't understand how God works. You know, we may lose a loved one, uh, may lose a job, may lose a house. There's so many different things that can happen to us in, in, in our lives as Christians. But, you know, the bottom line is we really don't know until we cross those gates into heaven, what God really was doing, what he had in store. One of my biggest challenges is God's timetable on things. I, I trust him, but, I, you know, sometimes I'm a little concerned with how long he takes. But anyways, First Corinthians 1 verse 20, it reads, Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through his wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weaknesses of God is stronger than man's strength. You know, and just kind of thinking through things. We, we look at the situation with, with Satan. Lucifer thought he was wise in his own eyes. Thought he had a better plan. How did that turn out? 
You know, there's instances with myself where it's when pride kicks in, it's my way rather than God's way. And I think in a lot of ways, even the issue of salvation forces the issue. Will you accept God's plan and destiny or devise your own way? Now, ultimately, right here as we sit here today, let's be a people that are willing to submit to God's way. One of the things we're going to look at right now is the detour from God's destiny. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that Samson's parents taught him the ways of the Lord. Not only did an angel of the Lord appear to Samson's mom, but his dad was a pretty spiritual guy. It says in verse 8, now my wife's got a different take on this than I do, I'll show that in a minute, but... In uh, Judges 13, verse 8, it says, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Yeah, this, this to me is incredible. They just wanted to make sure that there was going to be this great degree of success with this child. Now, Jackie claims that the husband didn't believe the wife, so that's why she, you know he summoned the... Uh, angel of the Lord again, but they got the direction twice in detail as to how best to raise this child. They inquired of the Lord to make sure his parents that they had it on straight. And parents, we need to make sure that we're doing that each and every day. We're getting into the scriptures. That's a means of inquiring God. We need to be praying to God. I mean, these guys cried out and God made it very clear, as do the scriptures, how best to raise our kids. You know, I'm sure that Samson understood what, this, what his Nazarite vow cons- consisted of. Yet as soon as he re- reaches adulthood, he begins to compromise those things that he'd been raised in from birth. He goes down to Tinma, a place that he should have stayed away from. It was a do- border town between Judah and uh, the Philistines, and it was full of temptations. Judges 14.5 says, you know, it references the vineyards of Tinma. Well, if you're a Nazarite and you've made that vow... You got anything doing hanging out in a place where there's a bunch of vineyards? Where there's vineyards, what else are you going to have? I mean, he wasn't even, even supposed to eat the fruit of the vine, let alone drink wine. So he starts straying. He heads down there. You know, one of, the, one of the conditions of his vow was that he would not partake in the fruit of the vine. So we see the first step towards sin is going to the wrong place and being around the wrong things. Teens, singles, you guys relate to this at all? You know, I mean, there's so many things in the world that, that try to attract us, that call our names. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's the opposite sex. You know, maybe there's someone in the classroom that you're interested in. Maybe there's someone in the workplace that you've built an emotional bond with, which is a form of compromise that can lead you to other things, which ultimately can lead you away from the Lord. I mean, Samson had his issues with women. The overall influence, because they weren't the women that God told him to choose from, it wasn't a good influence. You know, going into some of the nightclubs and things that you may be participating in. I mean, what kind of an environment is that? You know, are you putting yourself in jeopardy? We need to be thinking through these things as we walk through life. Don't hang around the vineyards of Tinma. You know, he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Ultimately, what did that lead to? Saw a pretty girl. There he gets into a relationship with the wrong person. You know, again, when we hang out in the wrong places, it's very likely that you'll end up with the wrong people. And even that situation, his parents, he had gone to his parents for input. Parents gave him input. Now, I know that, you know, this is not something as teens we ever have an issue with. We always follow the direction of our parents, right? 
Needless to say, uh, Samson had a few issues, and it, it didn't really work out too well for him. I mean, we know that the Israelites were supposed to stay separate from pagan nations. I mean, this was set up for the protection. There's a biblical mandate, even for us as Christians, not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 1 Corinthians strictly forbids Christians marrying non-Christians. You know, and I think, honestly, for the teens and singles, guys, this can be a big challenge. I mean, obviously, the mar- we're mar- the marriage don't have that particular issue, but we've got to be careful. You know, there's this thing, too, that we have called acceptance. You know, we want to blend in, we want to fit in, we don't want to be the oddball out. Yeah, I, I, want to, I want to commend our teens and our singles in this area. I think you guys do an incredible job with the pressures that are out there. But let's, let's make sure that we're continuing to go down the right path, that we continue to make the right decisions. See, Samson's parents tried to talk him out of this mistake, but he wouldn't listen to their counsel. And ultimately, it never would have been a problem in the first place if he had not gone to Tinma, the wrong place with the wrong people. You know, and parents, we talked about this the other night at the uh, family ministry night that we had. Just really understanding, we need to stay the course. We need to be consistent. You know, Samson went to them and badgered them about this girl that he had seen. And his dad was like, no way, dude, you don't want to be going down there. And he's, Samson demanded, Dad, I want that woman. Get me that woman. You know, and, and parents, I know you probably never experienced this, you know, with your kids. Where they, you know, have an issue or something that they decide on, and you tell them no, and they come back at you again. You tell them no, and they come back at you again, and you tell them no, and eventually they wear you down. They're good. They're strong. They're manip- uh, manipulative. Did I say that? <laughs> they can be. It's a reality. We can all be that with each other. But parents, please, let's stay the course with our kids. You know, with Samson, we see him continuing to violate the conditions of his vow. In Judges 14, he decides to marry this woman. There's a wedding party. And uh, it just leads to one thing after another. More conflict, more violence. It's kind of funny. In the different translations, it says that they set Samson up with 30 friends. Other Bibles, not quite as friendly about the representation there. But basically, the Philistines didn't trust him. So they put 30 Gentile guys on him. And um, they're basically to keep an eye on him, keep him out of trouble. So Samson comes up with this, this riddle for these guys that are hanging out with him. Now, one of the other vows that he violated is on the road to Tinma. He was attacked by a lion. He ripped the lion in half. I don't know if you realize or not, lions are considered unclean animals. He shouldn't even have touched the thing. Heads back home, getting ready, preparing for the uh, wedding banquet. Goes back to Tinma. Now, there's this dead line on the side of the road that uh, uh, Queen Bee took up residence in, so now there's a hive, there's honey, so he reaches into the carcass of this line, scoops out the honey, and eats it. So again, violating his vow, again, I mean, some of us wouldn't even need a vow to not go there, right? But here, there's a Nazarite vow, he's not supposed to touch anything unclean, eat anything unclean, sticks his hand in the, in the, the chest cavity of this dead line, scoops out the honey, so he comes up with this riddle for these guys. Which, right here in Judges 14, 14, says, From the eater came something to eat, from the strong came something sweet. And the bottom line is they gave him a period of time to come up with what that riddle meant. Well, his wife nagged him and nagged him and nagged him. They basically told his wife that if she didn't come up with the answer to the riddle, they were going to burn her and her family's place down. 
So she's, she's working on Samson. Samson comes up with the answer, gives her the answer. She goes back to the 30 Philistines, gives them the answer. Now he's ticked off because he lost the bet. He's got to come up with 30 sets of garments for those 30 guys. So being the wonderfully spiritual guy that he is, what does he do? He goes out and he kills 30 people. So now, again, violating the vow, he kills these guys, takes the clothes off their dead bodies, and, you know, needless to say, took care of his bed. Samson on the right path here right now? Got maybe a, a few issues? Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing the stuff that goes on. I mean, this, this escalates and escalates and escalates. You got the 300 foxes. He's totally ticked off with these guys because of what they've done and all the different issues that have gone on. His best man ended up taking his wife as his wife because he abandoned her. Uh, he goes back to claim her. Things escalate. I, and this one, I, I don't know about you. I, I, I may get some grief about this, but I, I don't know. That thing with the 300 foxes, I think I would like to have seen that. How in heaven's name does somebody rustle up 300 foxes or jackals, again, depending on the translation, and tie their tails together? How do you keep them together? Well, not only that, after that, he takes his lamps, ignites their tails, they go running through the vineyards and the grain, and they destroy all the agricultural stuff that's in, in, that, in that city, in Tinma. Because, again, just getting off the right path, not doing what God has called them to do. Now, the thing that's, that's interesting beyond this, if it comes up here, here we go. There was actually a period of time before we get to Judges 16. In Judges 15, I, I've never seen this before, but in Judges 15, verse 20, it says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the day of the Philistines. And I think what's, what's obvious at this point is he got it back on track. We, we have a 20-year window where Samson, we don't have any, any, anything talking about what Samson's destroyed or who he's killed or how he's violated the Nazarite vows. But again, it doesn't stop there, unfortunately. Judges 16, verse 19, it says, Having put him to sleep on her lap, this is Delilah, she called a man to shave off his seven braids of his hair and began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called Samson. The Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in the prison. Now, Judges 16 opens with, Samson went back down to Gaza. And what do we see taking place here again? You know, it can be the same way with us. Some of us have been Christians five years, ten, twenty years. And, and maybe there's a great degree of effectiveness during that period of time. I believe Calvin Johnson just celebrated his 23-year uh, spiritual birthday, he and his wife. Which is incredible. And we see Samson being effective. First 20, of his year, 20 years of his life, not so much. Second 20 years of his life... Obviously, we don't have any issues or problem, but then all of a sudden, there's that lure, there's that lust again. Whatever he had, he wasn't content with, and he cruises on back down to Gaza. And he ends up in the same sin that he was before, same situation with a, with a woman that he shouldn't have been married to, involved with. And what does she end up doing? They want the secret to his strength. The Philistines don't want, them, don't want him living where he's living. They're afraid of him. 
And the other thing that was kind of interesting with this is prior, after all that destruction that took place in Tima, you know, the uh, Philistine city was surrounded by a gate, or excuse me, by a wall. Um, Henry can relate to this. He's been to the Middle East. You see these enclosed cities. These gates are just enormous. And it's really the, the final aspect of closing off a city from outside forces. Samson was so ticked off, he got out of his adulterous bed at midnight, avoided the Philistines, ripped those two gates off their hinges, and carried them 40 miles to Hebron and sent them up on the top of the hill. It's estimated, and Henry will probably agree with this based on what he's seen. I've seen them as well. They're huge. Those gates weighed 750 pounds. For, uh, for, so for you tractor tire guys out there, you had it pretty easy. But, you know, it's just amazing what he could do with God's anointing, with the consecration that he received from God, the Holy Spirit, but the damage that he would do when he strayed from what God had called him to and didn't obey what God had ordained for him. You know, Delilah, she lived in Sorek, which, again, literally translates a vine. And again, now he's passing through the vineyard. You know, what's amazing to me in this story is that whole situation with her coming after him and wanting to know the secret to his strength. And obviously it wasn't his muscles. I think they figured that out. There had to have been something else involved there. She managed to weasel that secret out of him, that it was God. And after having been betrayed so many times before, you think he would have woke up, but he didn't. After having his hair cut off, didn't realize that there was anything wrong, jumps up out of bed thinking he's going to throw off the ropes that have entwined him, and instead we, we saw how that ended up. They gouged out his eyes, they took him away to prison, and he spent the remaining years of his life grinding out grain in the dark, blinded. And here, here's a man that knew how to serve, did for 20 years, and he could have closed out the remainder of his life just with, in, with such an incredible story, such an incredible victory on so many different fronts. But he chose not to. You know, I think this is something I know that I can slip into. In Proverbs 16, verse 25, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. See, I can cut off my consecration, my anointing from God, by not reading, by not praying, by not being open, by not sharing my life with others. And before you know it, my spiritual strength is gone. And you know, we're on the forefront of so many incredible things right now. Uh, I just got out of a leaders meeting with our small group leaders and our community group leaders. I am so incredibly proud of this group. You know, we've started up our Essential 8, and I knew we had a lot of people that were coming out, non-Christians that were participating in this. We had, we've got 41 people that are part of that essential aid group now that are not members of the congregation. That's just so incredibly encouraging. I haven't seen so many people involved in studying the Bible in this way. Some of them have already understood where they're at and have decided that they want to study the Bible and become disciples. You know, I'm really proud of uh, Justin and Magdalena Ping. We got with them for dinner on uh, Friday night. And, uh, you know, Justin was sharing some things about family, and uh, he noticed, I, I think Magdalena brought it to his attention, but his mom, who's usually very involved in these family functions, was sitting off in a chair off to the side. And they both were concerned, but this was kind of outside of uh, Justin's comfort zone as far as getting in and digging and kind of stirring things up. 
And uh, Magdalena did a little prodding, and, and he decided to, to get in there and go after things. And it, it was just so encouraging. Not ultimately what came out of it is that there's, there's some strife in their marriage right now. But he really put the appeal on to his mom to, to come out, out to the marriage retreat. And then from there was able to segue into getting them out to the essential eight. They've been out to two of those. And, I mean, it's just even seeing how they're being united as a family now. But why was that? It's because Justin decided that, you know what? My destiny's been changed. If I step out of my comfort zone, maybe I can change the destiny of my mom and dad. And I, I, I just think that that's worthy of applause. Right? I'm really proud of you, bro. That's awesome. So we need to be careful when it comes to what God has established for us and making sure that we're living in accordance with what our calling is as disciples. We've got this incredible harvest festival coming up next Sunday. You know, making sure that we're using this as an opportunity to get people out. I mean, there's all kinds of great events. There's going to be a guy t- twisting balloon animals for the kids. There's going to be a, a, a bouncer, jumper, whatever we classify them as. We got into a debate about that in the uh, leaders meeting. You know, I tried not to have anything to do with foolish, stupid arguments, but I didn't do very well. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of things going to be taking place for the kids. What a great way to appeal to people on a family level to get them out. Understanding that that one scenario, maybe it's a testimonial that's shared. Maybe it's a scripture that's read. Maybe it's a prayer that's prayed. can have the opportunity to totally change someone's destiny. You know, when it came to Samson, you know, when we're not working out our spiritual muscles, we lose spiritual strength and become weak and vulnerable. Samson's strength, as our strength, spiritually, is found in the Spirit. It's found in a life with God. You know, we all have these pictures in our heads, or maybe we've seen them of Samson, you know, kind of looking like Rudy Casillas there doing the crab. You know, just muscles bulging out all over the place. But really understanding that muscles aren't the secret of Samson's strength, nor are they the secret to our strength spiritually. We know eventually that Samson paid dearly for that compromise. After Delilah deceived him, we saw in Judges 16.21 that he suffered terrible consequences for sin. And then we need to understand there are consequences for sin. Next slide, please. There was consequences when we detour away from God. We look at the situation with Samson. Number one, they gouged out his eyes. I think really understanding here that sin ultimately will rob a person of spiritual insight, even if it doesn't lead to our physical blindness. Number two, they took him down to Gaza and they bound him. Sin leads to bondage. Jesus says in John 8:34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Number three, they set him up to grinding in the prison. Instead of living his existence out, which could have been in a great way, He's grinding out a living, doing hard time. And ultimately, it can be that way if, if we're not walking with God. Some of you may be grinding right now, but it doesn't take a whole lot to change that up. Number four, we later learn that he is a subject of ridicule and humiliation. Why? They knew who he was, and they knew whose he was. And isn't this the, isn't this the response that we can get as a fallen Christian? If you're in the workplace, people know you're a Christian, and you swear... What happens? What's the response? Oh, yeah, dude, you're just like everybody else. And we know there's, all, there's different situations that we can be involved with. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a rash or crude remark to one of our kids when we're frustrated and somebody else witnesses it. 
This is where it can lead if we're not walking in accordance, again, with what God has established for us. You know, we can be deceived about our Christian destiny. I know for me, unconfessed sin. You know, we, we see this with Samson just from a standpoint of the timing that was involved here. All kinds of sin early on in his life. Twenty years, not much of a window as to what it is that's going on. Then he strays off the path again. And what was the repercussion for him up to that point in time, prior to Delilah getting a hold of him? Were there any? No. I, 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 would not, I don't know that it would be too much of a stress to think that, you know, maybe, maybe he thought he was okay with God. God hadn't done anything to him, right? He hadn't been smoted or smited or smoked or blazed or, or whatever. None of those things took place. And I know this is how it is with me. If I'm, I've got stuff going on in my life that I'm not open about, there are times I start really getting deceived about it. Well, you know, maybe it's not that big a deal to God. Nothing's happened. I'm doing okay. The ministry's doing okay. Still baptizing. But you know what? Eventually it catches up with you. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You know, it's interesting the victories that Samson had in the midst of sin. We're really understanding, though, the consequences of sin come from not submitting to God. We need to make sure that we're going after that right, right relationship with Him. We need to understand that repentance is God's destiny for us. That final destination, not the movie where everybody's getting hacked by the reaper, but our final destination, the destination that God wants us to achieve, is walking with Him right through the gates into heaven. Now, when it comes to repentance... Sometimes he gives us the opportunity for repentance before the reaping occurs. As we know, in Galatians 7, it will take place. But repentance is ultimately God's destiny for us. You know, we see Samson in prison. Again, eyes gouged out. Sure, he was, when, they, when they got him up in the morning, they led him to wherever it was. He was getting beaten on the way. Probably a shadow of his former self. I mean, I'm sure he was a mess to look at. And what do you do in the darkness, grinding grain all day long? It probably wasn't an eight-hour day, would be my guess. You know, during the summer or whatever their, whatever their summertime would be, it's probably as long as the sun was up. And that's where he was at. That's what he was doing. Yet, through all that, Judges 16.23, we see a ray of hope. It says, the hair on his head began to grow again. And ultimately, that was symbolic of his repentance, his strength, his power coming back. Now, did Samson deserve a second chance? Of course not. Do we deserve a second chance? No. But this is what's so awesome about our God. Samson had many chances, and he still blew it. But in spite of his sin, in spite of his failure, God calls him to repentance, and Samson gets right with God. God here in this situation is faithful once again. We see this. Just like the father and the prodigal son. Samson's led into the temple. And we know what happened. They brought him out there to mock him. They chained him in between a couple of pillars. And what does Samson do? Samson had his strength back. Brought down that whole temple on top of the heads of the Philistines. And was able to deliver the Jews from the Philistines. He was a predecessor to the likes of a Saul or a David 
as they strive to reunite the kingdom and to strengthen themselves against their enemies. So I think what the thing is so awesome here is, in looking at this, is God capable of using anybody? He totally is. And that's, what I, that's what's got to encourage us. Our destiny, our purpose is so much more than our jobs. So much more than our schooling. So much more than any of the stuff that falls within the realm of minutia that we do on a daily basis. God wants us to be so much more. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. You know, it's awesome. Jesus himself even said in John 17 to the apostles, after walking through the whole thing with unity and friendship, on multiple occasions he told them that they would go on and do what? Even more, greater things than Christ. And you know, why is that? Jesus Christ was one man. But who do we each have residing within us? Every one of us has Christ residing within us. And we look at what Jesus was able to accomplish, how much more should we be able to do than Christ? I mean, Jesus says it himself, is Jesus a liar? You will do greater things than I. That is so incredible. And that is the destiny that God has set us up for. So Samson, against all odds, completes his mission. And again, he begins the deliverance of the, uh, the Jews from the Philistines. I think uh, Marco read this passage last week, but I thought it would be worth going through again. Hebrews 11, verse 32. says, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lion, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. You know, we look at the situation with Samson. Was he a saint or a sinner? He was both. Isn't that who we are? Baptized in the name of Christ? Aren't we saints? We totally are. Bottom line is, we're still sinners as well. Unfortunately, that just kind of comes with the territory. That's human nature. So Samson was both, but by the grace of God, he finished his course, the course that God wanted him to complete. You know, we look at this thing with, with uh, Samson. Samson was always destined for greatness. You know, strong, weak heart. We can go both ways. You know, I think the thing that's awesome, though, if we are grinding, if we're not exactly where we want to be, we can leave here today knowing that we can have a renewed heart. We can have spiritual strength. We can have a fresh start. You know, I think if, if Samson had to do, it, do over again, he could have avoided a lot of pain and a lot of humiliation and just walked in obedience with what God had established for him and never taken that trip down to Gaza in Judges 16.1. For 20 years, we see God blessed him, even in spite of himself. He could have enjoyed the latter days of his life as the ruler of Israel and fulfilled his destiny without the prison experience. You know, some of us might be dealing with that prison experience right now, but you can break out. How incredible is the mercy of God's goodness that even there in prison, that prison in Gaza, God didn't abandon Samson. Continued to work in his heart and fulfilled his purpose in his life. And I think with us, we can enjoy our later days the same way by avoiding the wrong path. You know, what about God's call on your life? Right now as you sit here today, is it something that's being fulfilled? Or has been sidetracked by maybe some form of sin or some other distraction. 
And here's the thing, regardless of what your circumstances are, you can change that right now as you sit here today by giving God all of your heart and claiming the destiny that He has set out for you. See, the choices of life, they're ours, but so are the consequences. Every one of us here sitting here today, we're free to choose. We decide for ourselves what we want to do and how we want to live. And the thing that's really so awesome about this, I've got to want to close with a story called The Race, is that God's right up there cheering us on. God wants us to win. God wants us to come across that finish line. God wants to embrace us. God wants to welcome us home. With that, we'll close things out right here. It's titled The Race by D. Groberg. It says, quit up. Give up. You're beaten. They shout and they plead. There's just too much against you now. This time you can't succeed. As I start to hang my head in front of a failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. Hope refills my weakened will as I recall that scene, for just the thought of that short race rejuvenates my being. A children's race, young boys, young men, now I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race, or tie for first, or if not, then at least take second place. Fathers watched from off the side, each cheering for his son, and each boy hoped to show his dad that he would be the one. The whistle blew, and off they went, young hearts and hopes of fire to win. To be the hero there was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular, his dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field across the shallow dip, that little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his hands flew out to brace. Amid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. So down he fell, and with hope, he couldn't win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, Get up and win the race. He quickly rose, no damage done, a bit behind, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished that he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't try to race. But in the laughing crowd he searched and he found his father's face. That steady look that said again, Get up and win the race. Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight or ten. But trying so hard to catch the lead, he slipped and he fell again. Defeat. He lay there silently. A tear dripped from his eye. There's no sense in trying anymore. Three strikes. I'm out. Why try? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win the race. With borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost it all. For winning's not more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he rose to win once more with a new commit. He resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, still he gave it all he had and ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen, stumbling. Three times he'd rose again. Too far behind to hope to win. 
He still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed first place, head high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. When the fallen youngster crossed the line last place, the crowd gave him a greater cheer for finishing the race. Even though he came in last with his head bowed low and proud, he would have thought he won the race to listen to the crowd. And to this day, oh, and to his dad he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and hard and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For all of life is like the race with ups and downs and all, and all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Quit! Give up! You're beaten! They still shout in my face. But another voice within me says, Get up and win the race. P.S. It matters not if you try and fail and try again, but it matters much if you try and fail and fail to try again. God bless.